Okay, well, good morning once again, everybody. It's an exciting day to be at church, and uh, if you're watching online, you just missed a great reading of God's Word from Tara. So, uh, there's an old evangelist that's one, once quoted as saying this, and he was kind of being a little sarcastic, but he said, Christians don't lie or steal, right? We never do that, right? But he went on to say, they don't get divorced and they don't have abortions. He says that the Ten Commandments were followed by everyone, we would be able to fire half the police department, and in six months, the prisons would be half empty. Well, there's probably a little truth in there, isn't there, if that really happened. It's interesting that in our modern culture, as we are kind of wrapping up our, our third sermon, our final sermon on the Ten Commandments, that our culture doesn't want the Ten Commandments of God. I mean, it literally flies in the face of what they want, but they want the results of the Ten Commandments. Have you thought about that? It's interesting when you see that Modern society, as we've seen in some states, wants to defund the police, right? We've also seen what's happened when they defund the police is there's just robberies going on and they can't do anything about it. They want to have the right to an abortion, which the Bible says, thou shalt not kill. They uh, want to be able to call themselves law-abiding citizens. They want everyone to be right they talk about a woke mentality that everybody should, should be a part of, which I think is interesting because if you look at the woke issue, there are actually two opposing definitions of woke. So the woke people can't even get it right. They want to have world peace. They want to have climate change. They want to have the homeless be you know, contributing members of society. And they want to do all this. And if it all fails just because everyone won't be good, well, socialism will fix everything, right? Yeah. For all these people and these opinions that are going through this in our modern world, I mean, we see this stuff in our face constantly, don't we? And as Christians, God calls us to take a stand. And we are looking in Exodus 20. If you want to start there with me the morning, we'll be back in the Old Testament in God's Word in uh, the Ten Commandments or the Decalogue. You know, we go, go back to the saying that we read a couple weeks ago that if God would have wanted our permissive society, he would have given us the Ten Suggestions instead of the Ten Commandments but they're Ten Commandments. And what I think the world misses is the one thing that's most important is that they have tried to take God out of the center of our life. I've watched a couple uh, documentaries and things this week with all the crazy stuff that's going on in the world. I've talked to a bunch of people about their differences of opinions, which we should be able to talk and communicate without going ballistic, right? We should be able to share opinions, but it's interesting they don't, when the topic of God comes up, they want to shut the conversation down. They want to change the topic. But what I think is, you know, is our nation, we still have on our coins and our dollar bills, it still says those words, what? One nation under God. For most people, they got to figure out which God that is, though. We also still have our Pledge of Allegiance. One nation, remember that from being kids? I know it's a long time ago. One nation, what? Under God. Under God. Our creeds. Our money, everything still says one nation under God, but we are rapidly a nation leaving that. And I think that it's like when you're hiking or backpacking, if you start off on the wrong path from the beginning, it's hard to get on the right path, right? Because you have no basis of where you're going. And I think that as the world tries to push God out of society and say, we can do it on our own, we are an enlightened society. We have progressed. Well, my personal opinion is when anyone tells me that we are enlightened, 
That's my first warning sign, right? Because when you look at the Ten Commandments, when God gave the Exodus people the Ten Commandments back in their wanderings in the desert, as a progressive society, we are still making the same stupid mistake some 3,000 years ago. We have not progressed, we are not enlightened. We are just another generation going through this. And again, our world is trying to push God out of our society. The world wants to believe that people are innately good, right? Some of you back in psychology and junior and high and high school talked about the tabla rasa. I don't remember which psychiatrist or psychologist came up with that, but that was the clean slate, right? Well, we all just start off with a clean slate and we build it from there. And people want to say, well, deep in our hearts, people are innately good and they'll really just live with integrity. Well, how often do we see that happening? When the Bible tells us the truth that God says in his word, the heart is what? Deceitful and wicked. And that's why we need salvation because we are born in this world of sin. We are born into sin and only God can take that away. And that's where God's salvation comes in. And if we just look, look at the fact that if we really believe that people are innately good, what about homicides? What about prison populations? What about all the vandalism that is going on? Rape, child abuse. If we're innately good, why does this stuff even exist? Well, I think God has given us the Ten Commandments, the Ten Rules for a reason, because they need it. We're needed, right? We need them. Now, commands are given for command breakers, right? Just like laws are made because we have law breakers. And some of us say, well, Pastor John, we're Christians. We're not law breakers. Even if we live with integrity, they are a good guideline of what not to do and what to do. And as we've looked at in the past, some people say, well, the Ten Commandments, that's Old Testament stuff. You know, that's like 3,000 years old. That's not for the New Testament. Well, Jesus spoke about the, new, the, the Ten Commandments in the New Testament, didn't he? In fact, if someone would come to him, he would say, what are the commands of God? And what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus would go on not only to not get rid of the Ten Commandments, but to lavish them and make them more serious. Where the, the commandments say, do not kill, but Jesus says, if you have that in your heart and your mind, you have broken the commandment, right? It was an in-mind thing. So we look at this, we want to finish up with God's commands because we need to. In the face of our society, as God calls us to be salt and light in a world of darkness, we need to know where to stand, and we need to go back to the Word of God, not our opinions, not our ideas, but back to the Word of God to see what God would have us do and how God would have us live. Now, most often when you read stuff, it doesn't want to talk about the commands of God, but I actually found one newspaper article that kind of got it right. And here's a quote out of that newspaper article talking about the Ten Commandments of God found in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy. He writes this, quote, As those ten utterances are, mem are memorialized and universalized, they provide a code of conduct that honored family, protected life, secured property, defined boundaries, enhanced trust, and thereby secured the foundation for a cohesive and productive social interaction. The Ten Commandments launched into human history the hypothesis that a society could be peacefully ordered under a rule of generally applicable laws rather 
than a forceful whim of, a, of aristocrats. He kind of got it right. It's a guideline for how to live and how to run a society. And the thing that we need to realize with the Ten Commandments is just like we need to realize with every other thing in the Word of God as He speaks to us to be changed into His likeness is this. God sees things from an omnipotent point of view, an eternal point of view, right? We see things from a temporal point of view, from a very limited point of view. We have a sovereign God that has created us, as the Bible says in Psalms, while we were yet in our mother's womb. He has created us with a purpose and with intent. He desires to use us as vessels of righteousness, and God knows the whole picture. And yet we get in our temporal point of view, some 50, 60, 70, 80, some of you long-timers, 100 years of life, and think, oh, we know how to run life. We really need to go back to God's viewpoint because he sees everything how it works in his divine will. So that's it. We start off three weeks or two weeks ago in Exodus chapter 20, and we look at the 10 rules. Let me run through the first seven as we've gone through them. The fundamental rule, the focus rule, the frivolous rule, the frailty rule, the family rule, the felony rule, and the fidelity rule. And for you guys just joining us, you've kind of noticed it's not exactly how the Ten Commandments says it in Exodus, right? We've called this our F, our F series on God's love written in stone. F being either failure or fantastic, right? Most people, when they talk about the Ten Commandments, see like, oh, I've just failed. I've blown them all, right? What's the point? We want to look at, at them as fantastic because it is God's love written in stone for his people and how to live a blessed, a content life without pain, without regret, without remorse, and without those bad memories. We need to remember as we dig into this that God does hate sin, and that's why the commandments are there. That said, we also need to realize the counter of that coin, and that's this. God loves sinners. And we don't have to get everything right to come to salvation in that works mentality because Christ came to us when? As Romans states, while we were still sinners, while we were still against God. So he loves sinners, but he gives us the commands so that we would not sin to live a peaceful life. I'm sure all of us, well, except for maybe Christy, can look back at our life and say, man, I have blown it so many places. I have those memories. They're embedded in my mind. Wouldn't it be cool to know this to start off life and not have those mistakes in life, to have that freedom in your mind to be content? Now, we get that with God's love and forgiveness, but most of us can look back, and I think at this point in our lives, the Ten Commandments are even more important than before we came to salvation as we go forward in life. So, moving on to the Eighth Commandment found in Exodus 20:15, We will call this the fraud rule, and it's very simple. Four words. You shall not steal. Well, that's another one we could use in our modern world, right? Tons of stuff in the news about stealing. Well, as we talk about the fraud rule that God says, you shall not steal, and why it's a living rule, I came across this story of a factory worker who every day was trying to steal items from his factory. So at the end of his shift, he would load a bunch of stuff up in a wheelbarrow, he would cover it with a nice little cart, and he would walk out the guard shack, and the guard would look and see the covered wheelbarrow, and he would stop him, and he would say, I need to open that cart. He would find all the items in the wheelbarrow. He would confiscate them and put them back and say, don't do that again. Well, this man did this every single day at the company. So every day at the guard shack, the guard would stop him, pull back the cart, 
take the items that was in the, in the wheelbarrow that he was stealing and put them back in place. Well, finally his retirement day came, which the guard was so happy about because he wouldn't have to go through this again. And the man, of course, showed up at the guard shack on his last day at the end of his shift, had his wheelbarrow with his tarp over it. He comes up here and the guard says, okay, Jim, pull the tarp back. And sure enough, what was in there? A bunch of stuff. So the guard took the stuff and he put it in his office to put back later. And he took the tarp and put it back. And he looked at Jim and he said, Jim, you are a fool. He says, for all these years, I have allowed you to do this, but he goes, you've tried to steal stuff from this company every single day, and I have caught you and put it back, and you still continue to do it. You're a fool, Jim. And Jim looks up on his last day and kind of smiles and says, no, sir, Bob, you're the fool, because all these years, I've been stealing wheelbarrows. <laughs> it's as good as it gets, folks. Okay. <laughs> when we are tempted to, to sin in stealing, in this message of love, we've got to remember that God's commands are his word, his love written in stone to us to keep us safe and to give us abundant life. It's like God is saying this, I don't want you to steal. Well, yeah, we know that. Stealing's bad, right? But why? That's the kicker. Because we can know the rule, but if we don't know the why behind it, it has no impact, does it? God says, I don't want you to steal because he goes, I want you to realize that I am your provider. You don't need to take, hand, take, take the situation into your own hands. I am your provider and I will give you what you need. Now this has even more impact when we look at when these commands were given. When were they given? In the middle of the Exodus, after God pulled his people out of Egypt to 400 years of slavery, allowed them to wander around in the desert for 40 years until they kind of got a clue that they should really follow and trust God, and they're out there in the desert wandering around, tents and kids and chickens and pigs, well not pigs, they're Jewish, right? Um, lambs and all kind of stuff, but he's out there saying, I will provide for you. You don't need to steal from each other because I will provide. And in that Exodus story, did God provide? He provided water, he provided manna. The Bible says he provided that their shoes and their wagons would not wear out for some 40 years. God provided them. He led them, again, with a cloud by day, a fire by night. God provided all the way. And as he's looking at them and looking at us, he's saying, I don't want you to steal because you want me. He says, I want you to realize I am your Jehovah Jireh. I am your provider, right? I will give you what you need, maybe not what you want, and maybe not in the timing that you want it, because my timing is different than yours, but I will be your provider. And I want you to understand that I love you, and I will take care of you. I don't want you to have to manipulate, to, to scheme, to deceive, to do things to get what you want in an uncorrupt way. Because that would cause your conscience to be seared. And that would cause you to be a schemer, a manipulator, a liar, and a thief. And here's the hard thing that we look at these commands, is that people say, well, you know, I'm, I, I don't steal. Well, I think everyone in a world at one time has stole something, whether it's small or large, right? How many times do you have to steal to be a thief? One, right? How many times do you have to lie to be a liar? One. And that's where God's speaking to us saying, I love you to tell you don't do this because I want your conscience and your heart to be clear. And I love you to the point that I be 
your provider. Now we often say, yeah, boy, that's a great verse. That's a great thought, Pastor John. But you know, sometimes times get hard. Sometimes I really think I need that stuff and I you know, just can't get it. And chances are what we need to realize is oftentimes if God has not provided that for us, then maybe it's more of a want than a need. And we're not trusting God in his providence. It's kind of like God is saying this. If I'm a dad and my six-year-old daughter, I give her a beautiful little pink bike with a little you know, ringer on it and a little basket, and the bully down the street steals that bike, what is a good dad going to do? He's going to go down to that little bully on the street and have words with him, right? And he's going to take that bike back and give it back to his daughter. That's what God is saying to us, that he says, I will take care of you and provide for you, not only when someone takes your stuff, but he says, I will care for you as my own child, and I will be the one that provides for you. The Bible says that we always have what we need, shelter, food, clothing, which I'm glad y'all didn't show up naked today. You may have shown up hungry, but you didn't show up naked. That's a good thing. But God says, I will be the one to provide for you. Trust me to be your provider. I think back of when uh, our children were little. You know, some of you have had the little children or been around them. You know what? Do they worry about, most often, do they worry about when the next meal is coming? Do they worry about what clothes they're going to get? Now, they worry about the style because they got to be cool with everybody else. But they know mom and dad are going to provide clothes. They're going to provide food. They're going to have a bed to sleep in. You may even have a TV for them to watch some cool shows on TV. Children don't worry about that stuff. Who's the one that worries? The adults, right? Because we know the reality of life. And sometimes we get away from that point that God will provide. I am accountable and responsible and do what God has called me to do, which Genesis calls us to work. We looked at that. Remember, work six days and then what? Rest and honor the Sabbath. That if we just do this, God will provide for us. So again, it's a loving rule from God that when he says, thou shalt not steal, it's not to hinder us. It's to keep us from not trusting God. It's to keep us from taking matters into our own hands and saying, well, God's not doing it, so I have to do something. And we put ourselves before God in that moment, haven't we? Okay, number nine. The false witness rule. Exodus 20, verse 16. States this. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Well, what's false witnessing? Lying. Basically lying, right? It's lying. Here's what we need to realize in this rule as God is speaking love to us again. That speech is a social aspect it's a relational aspect let me give you this example it may hit home you know you ever have a girlfriend a boyfriend a wife a husband and part of that relationship building up that point was you're doing what you're speaking to each other about oh you're so pretty you're so handsome you're so wonderful you just can't do anything wrong oh you're just fabulous relationship is built on speech good speech and what's the opposite of good speech bad speech right now all of us if you've been in any relationship know the effect of bad speech as well right that one kind of stings a little bit when you have those marital discussions right and words come out speech is a social act and speech is also a relational act it either draws us together or it what 
rips us apart and causes division. And the Bible says, a house divided against itself, what? Will not stand. So God is saying, I don't want you to bear false witness, not just with each other, but with your neighbor and others around you. He goes, I don't want you lying and saying bad things about people. Because speech is this act that comes out of our mouth. And like the Bible talks about the tongue being one of the smallest parts of the body, like a single flame can cause a forest fire, right? I mean, we can cause immense damage with the words that come out of our mouth. So God is saying, in essence, I want your words to be pleasing and sweet. In the New Testament, we read that we are to use our words to encourage one another, right? To sharpen one another, to build one another up, not to tear one another down. And when we lie about our neighbors or others, we are tearing them down and defaming them, and we're lying. Here's my, my point on this. In God's kingdom, there can be no meaningful exchange of spiritual life apart from honesty and truth. God's kingdom says the truth will what? Set you free. And we need to speak truth one another, even sometimes when it's hard truth, right? God says, I want my people to be known by being truth people, not liars who backstab and tear other people down. But most often we see this backstabbing, maybe not always with our neighbors, but in the workplace, right? Oh, do you believe what Bonehead did this week? You know, did you see how stupid they were? God's saying, don't do that. You're my people. You are a chosen generation. He says, you are holy. You are set apart. You are to be different as my people. Holy again, meaning put in that place of honor. That God says, I want you to speak words of truth, of encouragement, not tearing one another down. God gives us this love letter law to say, I don't want you to be the ones lying, backstabbing, and be known for that. Do you ever read in the New Testament where Jesus' reputation was that of a liar, that of a backstabber, that of a gossiper? No. And Jesus says, as you follow my example and my image, I want you to be truth tellers. Now, Christy, as most of you here know, loves the detective shows, right? 2020, Dateline. Here's the interesting thing about those shows, which I'm not the biggest fan, but she watches them, and therefore, and being married, who else gets to watch them? I do, right? By default. There's always a thing, and there's a central theme where, you know, the guy that's doing the show is talking about stuff. They're interviewing all these people that were at the scene of the crime, right? That witnessed it. Here's the crazy thing about this. You may have 10 people that were at the scene of the crime, and the detective comes out and he interviews every single one as to what happened. And you know what's crazy? They all have a different story. Right, you ever notice that? Same place, same time, same setting, same situation, but they all have slightly a different story from their personal perspective and point of view. And the detective's job is to sift through all 10 of those eyewitnesses and figure out what? what the real truth and what the real story is. Have you ever been in a situation in your life where you cried out these words? God, just, just show me the truth. See, truth is so important and not defaming and tearing others down because if we can't start with the truth, we're already off kilter and on the wrong path, right? If we can't start with who we are, even in salvation, you can't come to salvation until you what, realize that you and I are sinners. 
and that we can't get rid of that sin ourselves, and we need a holy God to cover that. So, speak truth. Don't put your neighbors down. Live in God's image. And here, finally, number 10. Da, 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 here it is. Exodus 20:17. We'll call this the final rule. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox and his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. We laugh at that today because one, I don't have a female or male servant. Christy has a male servant at home. I think it's, his name is John. But I don't have a donkey. I don't have an ox. I don't have any of that. So it's like, well, what's the rule for this? God's saying, don't covet what others have. And what is coveting? Wanting what we don't have. Okay, came across a story of a woman who was once asked this question. The guy sat her down and said, would you rather have 20 children or a million dollars? Now, what's your answer? Here's the woman's answer. I won't ask your answer. We'll give you the woman's answer. She goes, I would rather have 20 children. Which right there, I'm going crazy, right? But here's her answer, and it actually makes sense. Her reasoning was that if God blessed her with 20 children, she would be way more than content to never want another child. <laughs> well, <amen. laughs> but if she had a million dollars, it probably wouldn't be enough and she'd want more. A little bit crazy rationalization that, but can you relate with that? If you had 20 kids, would you be like, hey God, that's enough, I know how this works, we're, we're done. <laughs> but if you had a million dollars, would you be tempted to want more? Most of us would. There's a reason this commandment is the last one about coveting. Coveting, again, is yearning, lusting, desiring, those things which we don't have. And this commandment actually covers the rest of the commandments, kind of like an umbrella. Because if you don't covet another person, you don't commit adultery. If you don't covet another's person's stuff, you don't steal. If you don't covet another person's position, you don't lie to get that position. Does it make sense? The first commandment God gives us is the standard for everything. If we just get that commandment down, we won't have to worry about the rest of them, right? I don't know about the rest of you. I'm still working on commandment number one. But this 10th commandment kind of retraces and covers, or goes back to everything else and says, you know what? Just don't desire what you don't have. Here's God's message of love in this, this, this command. When we covet, here is what we are literally saying to God. God, I don't like what you've provided for my life. I want something different. What you've given me is not good enough. I want someone else. I want something else. I want bigger and better. I want more. I want what I don't have. Isn't that what we're really saying when we covet what we don't have? God, thanks for supplying. <laughs> you know, you're great in a lot of areas, but I don't want that. I want Kendall's car. I want what I don't have. And essentially we're telling God, God, you've provided, that's great, I trust you, did, but it's not good enough. And when we look at it that way, kind of a crazy way. Who would ever really say that to God? We may not say it in our speech, but we say it in our mind. And that's why this command 
is so hard because this command out of all the other commands except for maybe the first is probably the one that is broken the most do you know why because this is a command that happens in the mind first when we covet where does that seed of sin begin here in our mind we see something with our eyes and we desire it and it begins to churn in our mind and if we don't get rid of that we all know the consequence what happens it grows until it's actually lived out in real life but the reason this command is so impactful is because it happens here where nobody sees it can be there for days weeks months or years as we look at all those things we want and desire but don't have and mentally in our mind it's saying God I want these things why don't you provide them you're not good enough that's why this command is so devastating coveting is a spiritual crime that happens internally that if it's not stopped again will happen physically in our real world Hebrews chapter 13 5 6 gives us a cure for this the secret sin that we have Hebrews 13 5 to 6 New American Standard Version says this make sure that your character is free from the love of money being content in what you have for he himself said I will never desert you and I will never forsake you and we also know that the New Testament goes on to say that contentment combined with godliness is of what? Great gain. Dorothy Sayers is a British writer who writes intriguing mysteries. She's also a very committed Christian. And she once pointed out the difference between two kinds of laws that we have in our life. She said, now there's the law of the stop sign and the law of the fire. She said, here's the difference. The law of the stop sign is a human created law and human authorities can enforce it or delete it I mean they can move the stop sign right it's kind of an arbitrary law that's out there the punishment for this breaking this law can be increased or decreased depending on the subjectiveness of the person enforcing it but she says the law of the fire is different because no human can willfully enforce it or delete it and its punishment is clear stick your hand in the fire and what's the consequence you're burned immediately Bound up in fire itself is the punishment for breaking the law itself. And in God's moral laws, the Ten Commandment laws are like laws of fire. You break them, and the punishment for breaking them is bound up in the law with that consequence. We go back to our quote from G.K. Chesterton this morning. It says, you never break God's laws. You simply break yourself on God's laws because bound up in each law is the penalty of the sin. I don't know if any of you ever drive north in the spring, like up in Idaho. I used to go up there every other month for business. And I always notice something odd. When you drive up north in Idaho, Idaho is known as the what vegetable state? Potato state. Huge fields of potatoes, right? And I always notice that in these fields, there were these huge mounds of rock right out in the field. I mean, just boulder upon boulder upon boulder. Those piles of stone are like the Ten Commandments. Because you know what those piles of stone are? You're like, why wouldn't the farmer just get rid of those so he could till the whole field? Well, what they are is they're markers. 
for the farmer. That in the past, he's taken his tractor out there and he's tilling up the ground and he comes across a boulder that's too big to move. And if he goes over that boulder, what will it do to the tractor? It will damage it tremendously. It will have a cost on him and his income, right? So the farmer goes out, he's in the field, and he's tilling up the field, and he comes to a place where there's a boulder too big to move that could damage his equipment and impact his income. The farmer knows he can't move it, so what does he do? He takes other rocks and puts up there, so there's this mound of rocks which is hugely obvious to see, right? So as he's in his little tractor jamming out to country music, right, and he gets up there and there's the big pile of rocks, what does he do? He swerves. So he doesn't hurt his tractor and he tills the rest of the field. God's commands, as he gives them in love, are like these big boulders in life. Remember we said God sees from an omnipotent point of view, an eternal point of view, we see from a temporal point of view? God's like, you're out in this field of life, on the path of life going there, and there's places where there's these massive life-hurting boulders. So I'm going to throw a lot of rocks on there and give you these commands so that when you come to the point and you see one of these boulders, these huge piles of rocks, what do you do in life? Well, let me say this. What do you hopefully do in life as a Christian? We go around and we avoid it. And when we avoid those piles in life, we don't get what? Hurt. So God's love, or in, in these 10 commands written in stone of God's love, are not meant to hinder us they're not meant to put boundaries on us, which are so limiting, as so many people say. They're not meant to put us down. They're meant to say, God is saying, I love you. I'm going to show you where the big boulders in life are. Why? So that when you go through them, you can avoid hitting the boulders and causing damage in your life. It's almost like this. It's like God's going to give us a quiz, but before the quiz, he gives you a sheet of paper with all the answers on it. So you can pass the quiz successfully. God is going to tell you in life where all the boulders are to avoid those boulders that damage you. Isn't that really a loving thing? Not a mean thing. So that's where we come. And all of these commands, both when he gave them to the people in the Exodus and when he gives them to us now, as Jesus reiterated and, and impacted them even more, God is saying, follow these commands, know them, because I want to help you maneuver through life and not get hurt. I love you so much, I want to tell you where the boulders are. I don't want you to get hurt and damaged. I don't want you to live with the pain all your life. Any of you in here ever break any bones, have a couple surgeries because of something you did? And I don't know about you, but the two surgeries that I have, when the storms are coming in the winter, oh baby, I can tell you when they're coming, right? I get to live with that for the rest of my life. God's saying, I don't want you to have to live that way, in pain, in hurt. I want you to have a free life, a content life, a life of joy, as John 10, 10 says, not just joy, but what kind of joy? Abundant joy. So I'm going to give you the answers. I'm going to tell you where the boulders are so you can avoid them. So as we go out this week, as we close up on our study of the Ten Commandments, first, may God bless you. Second, may you pay attention the boulders in life, and when you see them, veer off as God's saying, I love you, and I'm warning you if you go here, you'll get hurt. And I don't want you to get hurt. I want you to have freedom. 
and abundance and joy and contentment in life. That's why I've written my love letter to you in stone in the tablets that God gave to Moses to say, use this as a guideline for life. Make sense? Hopefully. Let's pray. Father in heaven, once again, we thank you so much that you love us enough to protect us. You love us enough to provide for us that in the future, when we see the temptations and the warning signs of those boulders, you've give us, given us the wisdom and discernment to move around them and not get damaged. Father, for those of us who have already hit those boulders, we ask not only your forgiveness, but also your grace and healing. Lord, that you would heal the scars, regret, and the guilt in our minds, the failures that we have done, that in you we are a new creation. And we pray that you would give us that firmness and confirmation that you have forgiven all those sins and that in you we are truly free. God, as we go forth from this point in our life, help us to adhere to your commands, knowing that they're given in love, that we would not further hurt ourselves from this point on. In this, to you be all glory, all praise, all worship, and all honor. In Jesus' name, amen.